the problem solving, the working in a team and working well by yourself, all that sort of stuff is what you do every day without thinking about in a, in a restaurant. So that can be translated into any number of different jobs out there and it shouldn't be diminished. I think if you have been doing this at a high level for a period of time, that will be second nature and you should be really really glad that you've got those skills because people want them. Today on Dirty Linen, we are going to continue with a little sub-thread that uh, we're chatting about these days. And, And that's about pathways in hospitality and the fact that the industry just stops working for some people at a certain time. Today, we are chatting to Stacey Edwards. She's one of Australia's most decorated sommeliers. She's worked in some fantastic restaurants. She was head som at Lake House in Dalesford. And when the pandemic descended, she was working at Igni. Stacey, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Tell us what job you have now. <laughs> it couldn't be further removed uh, from a life of trotting floors in restaurants and selling wine. I'm working as a signaller in the rail industry now. Oh my goodness! I just when you say that, I just think I think the bottles of wine in the cellars of Australia feel lonely. <laughs> but, um, tell us. Tell us, I mean, let's get to know you. So, you know, tell us about yourself. What got you into the industry and then what has removed you from it? Look, I I guess going, going back quite a way, I'd always worked in restaurants and cafes through university and after finishing a degree and extended study in science, I made a decision in about 2004 that I was going to continue working in restaurants but make it my career. And I did that because, you know, even working in labs and so on and so forth beforehand, I kind of had this honorary title as cruise director. You know, I was the person that lab heads would come to and go, oh, we've got this visiting scientist and we need to take them out for dinner. Where do we take them? So I kind of developed a bit of a reputation within that life of of sort of being that person that people went to for that stuff. And I loved hospitality and I just thought, it's, it's what I really love. I'm going to see where it can take me. And so making that decision was easy because I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, I can go back to working in science. But I loved it so much that it was then about, well, if I'm going to continue with this, what will I do? And for me, wine was a never-ending pathway of learning and you get to be quite creative in that as well. And, and I just loved the restaurant environment. So I have been lucky enough to to do that job in Melbourne, regionally and overseas. So it has been a, a wonderful career. I've loved it. And so, I mean, what did you love about it? There's a lot to love about it. I think one of the big parts of it that's amazing are the relationships that you develop both within your team, your co-workers and the venue but also those relationships you develop with your producers. And working with wine, you're working quite closely with importers, directly with winemakers. It's like how a chef feels about their producers, I suppose, where you're you're working with people that share similar values, both in the restaurant and and through your suppliers. So you're you're enriched and learning all the time. It's uh, a really special environment. I think 
it's a it's a tricky one to explain because you you work on a lot of adrenaline as well and explaining it to someone a while ago it was like not to make it sound really grandiose but there's a little bit of it like being on a theater stage where there's a start and an end and there's off stage life and on stage life your services really you know that you'll get it it will end your your day is bookmarked in different ways but you don't have this um you have this real ebb and flow that you work within which is really lovely as well so it's a it's a really yeah hard to, hard to explain but it gets under your skin and you get mm. i think a lot of people talk about that it's it's hard to walk away from I mean, a good sommelier can really make a restaurant experience, you know, speaking as a diner um, who loves wine but doesn't really know that much about it. I'm always pretty happy to be taken on a journey. I mean, how did you find that side of it, you know, interact, I suppose, reading tables, sort of trying to establish where they were at and and what they might might want to drink and how you could make their, their meal really special? Yeah, it, that's one of the things that gives you the biggest kick in um, in your day is when you can, ha- like in some, you have a very short period of time in which to work out what it is someone wants uh, or where you can take them. But to be able to nail it and to understand their needs and to be able to identify the right product for them in and amongst all the variables associated with that is one of the best parts of the job, putting that first splash of wine into their glass, them taking a sip, looking in the, the eye and going, that's exactly what I want or that's amazing. It's it's a lot of trust you're asking someone to give you in a very short period of time and you, you have to become good at asking the right questions, having really open body language, um, not being a snob. I think this is something that has changed a lot in the industry um, and people have worked very hard to do that over the last 20 years is to take the snobby factor out of it um, because at the end of the day, I've said this to so many people I've trained over the years, is it's not your money, so just relax. <laughs> if someone wants to drink something contrary to what you think, just relax. It's not your money. So it's it's a wonderful thing though to be able to introduce someone to someone new and then perhaps they return and they remember that wine they've gone and sorted it out i've heard stories from winemakers where they've gone oh such and such was a guest at your restaurant and they they got in touch through the website and they bought a box of this wine and it was you know that was really cool so you can open up a whole new world for someone just through a really gentle conversation Wow. I mean, that's pretty powerful. And, you know, to listen to you talk, you, you're obviously very engaged with that sort of work and, you know, proud of the experiences you've been able to create for people, you know, at, at different, yeah, diners, winemakers. It, it's, um, you sound like you're in it, but you're not. So <laughs> to, let's talk about that part of it. You know, what is it that um, has taken you out of the industry? Well, I, you know, if we go back, you know, re- rewind the clocks to that first lockdown in March last year uh, when, you know, I guess 800,000 odd plus people lost their jobs in one day when we were we were notified that the first lockdown was going to happen in Victoria. Um, that was a pretty scary time 
there's there was obviously nothing personal in it. It was just a matter of circumstance where we had there was a lot of fear. The pandemic was still very new. There was not a lot of information. Government support systems didn't exist. So a lot of us in the restaurant industry lost our jobs all on the same day. And that in itself is an enormous shock. And really, I felt a lot of grief at that time because the uncertainty of the time ahead was huge, really huge. So that period of uncertainty really, you know, I, I'm, I have two kids now. I've worked really hard and never really not had a job. Suddenly to be confronted with being unemployed um, with no idea of what I could do next was yeah, massive shock. And I really felt within myself like I would I would genuinely do anything as a job to help get us through. And, you know, in restaurants, as much as you can be, it can sound quite glamorous, we've all cleaned toilets, so nothing's, you're not too proud to do anything. And at that time, one of the, I think the jobs everyone wanted, you know, was working in a supermarket because it was something that was going to continue going, you know, looking for those industries and positions that were going to continue operating even in lockdowns. So I took that approach of apply for everything, don't be above anything. And um, a friend of mine in that first, very first week sent me an email with a job link. He works at Metro Trains in a very different capacity but you know the the jobs are all up on the internet and he sent me the signaler one and he said you've got nothing to lose put your resume in and do the testing online and I was like sure no worries I mean I'll be honest in hospo it's very rare to actually need a CV so to I had a pretty basic one which needed to be whipped into shape pretty quickly and uh, I just sort of submitted it, went through the online testing and then didn't really think much more of it uh, and then just kind of kept getting callbacks until it was like, wow, I think this might actually be a real job that's going to come out of this. So what is actually what actually is the job? <laughs> so not a job that I had any familiarity with beforehand. It's as a signaller um, and that job is kind of a behind-the-scenes operational job whereby you control a certain area of a train line and by by control I mean you're in charge of the signals and the trains have to adhere to the rules of those signals. So if you make them stop, trains can't go. So you're in charge of the movement of traffic through your area and and how they move through that area and it's all done in consultation with people on other sides of you on the train line and the central kind of headquarters in towns in Melbourne. So you, yeah, you're in charge of that area pretty much if anything goes wrong, you liaise with those around you and do as they say, make it, make it work, make the trains keep going. So. <laughs> well, it's an important job. We need the trains to keep going. <laughs> so, I mean, Hatch, you, you mentioned you've got, a, you've got a couple of kids and you're currently on maternity leave. Um, is, I mean, had you considered changing industries? Was restaurant life not working for you, you know, as a mother? I think it had an expiry date 
coming up. I, I mean, my my eldest is six and a half and, look, I took some time off when she was born and found coming back into the industry tricky because, you know, there are the as much as we're a 24-7 economy, childcare is not 24-7. So you're highly reliant on either having very gracious family and friends around you that can help out with childcare uh, in non-traditional working hours, um, which at the time, you know, even just basic general hours of childcare are tricky. So it is hard if you're working nights and weekends, especially weekends, all weekends, to feel that you are present in their downtime in the time. So I think, look, eventually being on the floor doing the long hours was going to need to contract or be modified in the near future. I didn't have a direct plan as to what I was looking to do, but there was that feeling, particularly edging 40, you physically as well doing those hours on hard surfaces, that takes a bit of a toll on you physically as well. So things were just starting to maybe in my mind, you know, there was a bit of a maybe we need to think about it, but also – you can ignore that for a little bit longer <laughs> and, and it, yeah, just ignore it and keep going because you still love it. So not, there was nothing really pushing me out the door per se, but then, you know, you have a shock like COVID and you have no uh, other way but to reassess entirely because, you know, the ground has shifted under you so much. Mm. I mean, are, are you with a partner that is also or was also in hospo? No, thank God he was not in hospital. <laughs> Mostly because I think um, if we were working similar hours, it would have been even harder for us. I think that would have precipitated um, leaving the industry sooner. But um, he has always worked outside of the industry, like dabbled and helped out, but never professionally worked in it. So um, that has alleviated some of the childcare pressure, but it has always meant that one of us is like we are working as ships in the night, juggling one one person having to be quite flexible so that the other one can work in uh, a more static uh, sort of working hours a week. So it doesn't leave it doesn't leave a, a lot of time for you as a family unit to have together. And I mean, back to the start of the pandemic. I mean, there was that like unprecedented uncertainty at the beginning, the first lockdown, but then JobKeeper did come in. I guess in the meantime, you'd started applying for jobs. And, I mean, did you have a difficult decision to make at that point, you know, whether you resigned from IGNI or, um, yeah, and and went down another path? Look, I think at that time um, not everyone at that time was using JobKeeper either, particularly around that time of coming back after the first lockdown and, before we went into the second. And to be honest, I'm a little bit fuzzy because there have been so many lockdowns, but (laughs) like all of us. But there was a period where things were starting to reopen and, yeah, there was a decision to be made. But I'd gone so far down the recruitment path with this other job that I thought I really owed seeing where that went, mainly because a big part of me felt that one lockdown was never going to be just one lockdown. We, there was, in my mind, I sort of drew a line under the next two to three years and just saw lockdowns as being something 
uh, common and I needed something that was lockdown proof. Um, I didn't want to deal with the the stress and the grief of another lockdown working in restaurants. That day, that Sunday that the first lockdown was called, it was in the middle of service, like at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and, you know, we'd been updating our phones through service to see what was going to happen. There's a lot of information bubbling around that it might. And when it did come out that we were going to go into lockdown, I think a lot of us went into a sort of shock and panic and the first thought was, oh, it's just going to be two weeks, let's just triage what we can, let's try and save as much as we can in terms of ferments and, you know, we had had a big non-alcoholic offering. So trying to save as much of that because it's quite laborious as possible, thinking, okay, we're going to come back I, I just didn't think that that was going to be, though, the only one that we had and I couldn't face having to do that. It's like closing a business every single time. Uh, so, yeah, taking sort of looking at it and going, okay, next couple of years are a write-off. This is what I – if I can get through with this job for a bit and it provides some stability, that's going to be amazing. So when you started with the, the job with uh, Metro Trains, I mean, what kinds of um, what kinds of things did you notice in the employment structure that were quite different from hospitality? And did you find a job that was, I guess, suited family life better? Yeah, I think it was interesting going from working in sort of smaller businesses into sort of this big corporate mega structure that I had very little interaction with there were there I mean I guess there are things that are quite comforting when you go into that that bigger environment where there is a lot of oversight um from a HR perspective um the where you sit within the organization is very transparent and you can see very clearly who you're reporting to and how who they report to and sort of where all that information goes it's um, in a restaurant. It's different. I think you. T- it's you're one of many peers, and yes, that we all have different responsibilities, and we do report up. But it's on a much smaller scale, and often there's a little bit of holding things together with sticky tape sometimes because that's just what you've got to do to get things done. Whereas going into something where uh, you're, you've got really good contact with your immediate managers. You know, the training was brilliant and um, small groups, we were paid. All the detail was kind of covered very concisely in terms of inductions and so on and so forth. It was very well drilled. Um, it was very welcoming. And I was very fortunate to to go through the learning and training process with um, with three other women and who'd all come from other industries and, you know, two, two of them were mums as well. And how it fits with family life was interesting because it is shift work. So a night shift would start at 10 p.m. and finish at 6 a.m., but you're not doing them all the time. So it works out to be less hours than in restaurants. Even with a commute, I'm based in Geelong, so commuting to some of the locations in Melbourne can take an hour and 15, hour and 30 minutes sometimes. But even with that commute on top of the hours that you work, it's still less hours than I was doing in a restaurant. And that is such a crazy shock. So you have even with a commute like that, you have more time with your family. And I think as well one thing my 
husband really noticed was how I didn't bring work home as much as I did in restaurants. So that was a an interesting offering because I, I don't think you realise when you come back in through the front door how much of it you carry with you. It's a very personal job working in a restaurant, talking to people and trying to give so much uh, of an experience and it's a beautiful thing and I don't begrudge it. It's, it's not a negative but it is very personal too. So it can weigh on you. Uh, I, I was unaware of how that um, was seeping home until I was doing something else completely different. And what about the job satisfaction? I mean, how does that compare? It's so different because it's apples and oranges. I think the satisfaction, like I, I do weirdly like it. It's so, I catch myself saying this and I think, who are you? But it's, look, it's been a challenge and I think the challenge of learning a completely what felt like a new language in a completely new industry was was very welcome it was a it was a great not only distraction but it provided something uh you know there was something there to work towards and I think I'm a little bit competitive so I was like right I've got to got to nail this and I haven't honestly done so many examinations since university so that's been interesting too but you're with people that really like I'm talking about classmates and other people that you work with that are genuinely interesting and quite supportive and the people that's the thing that I've really on reflection on maternity leave thought about is the people that you work with whether it be in a restaurant or it be within this uh, this new industry they're the that's what really makes it satisfying you work with really interesting good people um the technical stuff anyone well not anyone but you you can learn anything that you kind of want to put your mind to so once you can kind of get over that hurdle it's actually yeah it is quite satisfying and it's satisfying when you can solve a problem um and work in a team when things are not going right so there, there are similarities it's actually like looking through the job description for that job originally I thought wow there's a lot of dovetailing with what we do in a restaurant and don't give ourselves much credit for um to what they're looking for in this role mm. well yeah look it's it's so it's so interesting it, uh, like hospitality people often perhaps don't realise how skilled they are and how applicable those skills can be to other areas. I mean, have you found that the skills that you've built up in restaurants and in the in the world of wine have been valued in y- your new industry? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, quite fascinating to unpack those things that you've learned. I think because there's still it's still not considered a career necessarily. Like unless you're a manager or a sommelier, working in a restaurant is still not considered necessarily a career in this country like it is overseas. And so those skills tend to be diminished by ourselves a bit but, you know, potentially not recognised as much. Um, 
until you have a situation where you go, oh, right, this does make sense. This is very similar to that. And so things like working in a high-pressure environment, having really good communication skills, being safe and understanding what safety is, the problem-solving, the working in a team and working well by yourself, all that sort of stuff is what you do every day without thinking about in a, in a restaurant. So that can be translated into any number of different jobs out there and it shouldn't be diminished. I think if you have been doing this at a high level for a period of time, that will be second nature and you should be really, really glad that you've got those skills because people want them. They really want them. Communication skills in particular are vital. So I I think that we shouldn't sell ourselves short of what we've learned working in a restaurant environment. Mm. So what will it take what sort of change do we need to see in hospitality to keep these highly skilled people and, and, you know, perhaps women in particular? And what will it take to get you back, Stacey? What, how does the industry need to change um, to retain professionals such as yourself? It's a, look, I think there's a multi, there, there are going to be a multitude of, of things that we could look at here the the I think when we got to the first lockdown last year, there was a lot of conversation around, um, you know, people using it as a as the catalyst to be able to look at changing their business models and having an environment that was less, say, shall we say, spreadsheet driven and more people driven. I, I do have a huge. Um, I do think about the industry just being constantly kicked over and over again in this time with multiple lockdowns. I understand why some business owners might just hold the status quo for the moment, but I think what we saw was that a lot of people in restaurants have other things that they want to do and other parts of their life that are really important and that needs to be acknowledged and finding ways, particularly when we're talking about women, to keep them in the industry, finding different ways to keep them employed. It's not just you're in or you're out, so doing the 50, 60 hours or nothing. That, I think, has to die because I have seen so many skilled female sommeliers leave the industry when they have their first child because they are unsupported and have not been offered other flexible working arrangements. And by that, I look at this and I think, why don't we see job shares? Um, why don't we see more permanent part-time and see that as valued as opposed to you have to be full-time? There's a bit of a perception within some restaurants whereby if you're not working on the floor every minute that you're at work, then you're not offering value to the venue. I think within wine, that's a big thing. Unfortunately, working in wine, most of the work that you do for the business that's of value, monetary value happens at your desk. And so that perception, I think, is something that's quite outdated. It needs to change. But I would never want to not work in wine and not have access to working on the floor because that's also why you do what you do. But I think having a HR structure or smaller businesses tapping into HR expertise so that they can come up with the tools to offer these alternate employment arrangements would be really handy 
I mean, you look at small businesses, they don't have the huge HR juggernaut that someone like Metro would have. Um, those resources, if they don't know someone, they might not know where to go to get it. And that involves time and money that they might not be willing to spend. So I think we have to change. We definitely have to look at the way we re-employ people when they come back to work because, you know, childcare, like I said, is not available when you need it in restaurants. Um, I think, you know, seeing really positive discussions about changing the model so that you can, you know, compressed working weeks, um, not necessarily working lots of doubles, um, find, giving staff opportunity for some work-life balance. I applaud anyone who is having a crack at that because you will go a long way to having a culture that encourages people to stay and want to come and work for you. Um, I, I can't overstate that. Working at the River Cafe in London really set a big benchmark for me on how to create a culture of staff engagement and re retention of staff. If you look at the, I'm sure I'm making this up, but I feel like anecdotally I'd be pretty close. You know, the average number of years chefs in particular have worked at that restaurant would must be like 15 years, you know, mm. like that's because a culture was set in place that enabled people to can still have time for outside interests and family and working hours were kept to a reasonable level. I think the average there was like maybe 43 hours a week, something like that. It wasn't outrageous. So it, I, I get that the that businesses are struggling. I just, I'm being aspirational here in terms of things that I think would, would make an enormous difference. Mm. I mean, it sounds like a lot of it, it you, I mean, you talked earlier about being more people focused and not so spreadsheet focused, but it also sounds like what's necessary is for people to be quite rigorously business minded in a way to, I guess, to, to ensure that their businesses are, are really professional and then they're not just sort of built on passion and uh, a shared vision and, and, you know, that, that in the trenches kind of feeling that it is about looking at the fact that these are whole people that are in the business and they, they need to have a life outside of work as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just don't, um, I just, don't know if we've got the appetite moving forward to look in a business uh, in the industry now and go, well, where are all the women in senior roles? Like we kind of had that conversation a while ago, but then, you know, a lot of them drop out when they have kids because they they can't come to an agreement um, that keeps them professionally satisfied, financially helps them cover the costs of what they need as well but also they've got a um they've got an opportunity to to still work with these beautiful people like it's a really we're still having that conversation about women returning to work and that is a step that we need to take and get over but it's an industry where we've had enough staff just enough staff to kind of fill those gaps, those employment gaps, and those women have been allowed to leave and go and work in retail or uh, like wine retail. I'm talking specifically wine here, but go and work in other jobs, wine retail, work in wine distribution and wholesale, which has raised the bar in those industries, um, but uh, has left a big hole 
in in restaurant floors. So to get them back would need a bit of creative thinking and I think that's where it comes down to wanting to accommodate that and then draw on all that knowledge and training that is available through those those women um there's there's a huge untapped resource (laughs) that I think we we still haven't really uh pursued in restaurants which I would love to see because you know it's I just think that, you know, to be disposable once you have a child in some, and I'm talking some restaurants, right, but there's plenty of them out there where it it hasn't been a priority and maybe now it will be because we just don't have the overseas staff to fill the labour shortages that we have that we need to kind of look at what's on our doorstep again. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, we're talking about, about women and that's as it should be. But it also sucks for men that this um, emphasis on a balanced life and being able to spend time as a family, you know, to see your kids in daylight. I mean, it, it, like men have children too and it, it's, um, you know, I, I think in some ways it's seen as a weakness that women leave or change their working circumstances because they've got kids. But it's also a strength. It's like I, I wouldn't have... I wanted to see my kids, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to try to build a life around that part, that important, you know, part of, of, um, yeah, of my life. It it wasn't, it's, I suppose it's about, you know, you really have to engage with people properly to, to work out what works for them. And of course, you know, people, people's needs and circumstances and desires change. So it's not just one conversation, is it? It's, it's about, you know, having an ongoing dialogue. Absolutely, and your your point about it being applicable to men is is spot on because you you look at the number of hours that um, that any father would be putting into working in restaurants, and they're the same, you know, like they're they're crazy hours. And if they're a chef, they'd potentially be more than front of house. So um, those relationships at home are those fires at home need to be stoked and that's I know for myself personally that if I don't have enough time with my kids you know you do feel a bit adrift and I I think that's just one facet of of keeping giving your staff that breathing space to be themselves to fulfill those other roles in their life because when you do that you do come have them come back through the front door ready to go they're switched on then they're not distracted they're not carrying the the heaviness of what they've left behind um it's a hard industry anyway it's fun and it's amazing but um the time away from friends and family and all their special occasions that you ultimately miss over the course of your career for those in your life they add up and so that's where flexibility i think provides where possible you know is is great for everyone. Yeah, wow, such such a big topic. So Stacy, I mean, you know, Metro won't be listening to this. So just tell us, are you going <laughs> to leave them and co- and go back to restaurants? <laughs> or don't you know yet? I have no I have no doubt that my manager will listen to this cuz she she's very interested in food and wine. So um I have uh, in all honesty, I haven't quite worked out what I'm going to do. Um, I, Like I said, I got a job in a pandemic that has 
provided stability to my family that I, in that dark time, could never have imagined I'd be so lucky to get. And I am still quite new in that role. I, I stepped away after nine months to have have our second child. So I feel like there's a lot of unfinished business. There's a lot of learning that I still haven't done and achieved and um, I'd like to see where it goes. That said, I recently judged, did some wine judging at the Alternative Varieties Wine Show up in Mildura a week and a half ago and the fire in the belly for wine is is well and truly there. It never went away. (laughs) And so how to keep that as a part of my life Um, because I feel very strongly about working with the people that I've worked with in the past from a producer and supplier perspective. You cultivate those relationships over a long time. You don't just walk away from them easily. So how I do that, I don't know. I recently joked with a friend that maybe we just need to bring the dining car back on trains and I can match the two (laughs) successfully. (laughs) That is such a good idea. I love it. Well, great European train trips are always marked by what you had on the dining car, so I don't see why we can't bring it back in Australia. But um, I am finding it, yeah, I, I don't have a clear path. I don't really know. Like I said, I sort of gave myself two to three years to kind of just see what the pan pandemic was going to do I know it might seem a bit selfish to sit on the bench when everyone's struggling for staff but um, I'm just not in a space where I feel like I can contribute in a way that is beneficial both financially and um, you know with a young child um, very young child it's it's a tricky time too so I yeah I don't know it's it's all a bit open and to be continued and don't have a straight answer on that one. I wish I did. Oh, no. Well, I think, you know, open and to be continued sounds great too. Um, I guess one thing that you've showed us in this chat is, you know, no decision has to be forever and, and um, yeah, we've got transferable skills and, uh, yeah, we don't know where the, where the path is going to take us. But it's, um, yeah, it's so amazing to hear your story, Stacey, and I really appreciate your openness in sharing it with us. Um, I'll be thinking of you on the trains and I'll be thinking of you as I sip delicious wine. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us today. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm glad I could merge those two parts of your life all in one go. I love it too. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.